Hi, this is Jay Roach. I'm the director, and with me is... Mike Myers. I'm from Toronto, Canada, and I weigh 160 pounds in my stock and feet. I play Austin Powers, Dr. Evil, Gold Member, and Fat Bastard, and I co-wrote it with Michael McCullers. And, I'm and one produced. The, I'm one of the producers with John Lyons and Greg Taylor and Eric McLeod. And Marco Schnabel, our associate producer. Very good. So here we are in Utah. Moab, Utah. Eric McLeod, one of the producers, was from here and thought this would be a cool place to shoot, and we fell in love with the Red Rock. Michael McCullers and I had written basically one of those things like uh, a battle ensues, and, and Jay Roach put this all together. And I, I saw it well after it was shot and edited, and, and I thought it was really funny. <laughs> <laughs> we shot this really late in the schedule, too, in post-production, actually, a few weeks after we wrapped principal for the This is my favorite shot. My favorite shot's going through the canyon there. I, which I should know the name of those towers, but I forgot. But they're in near Moab. Jack Gill and Marco Schnabel, uh, our second unit directors, did almost all the work on this. But it was fun to design it, and, and uh, it all came out of you guys' great idea to have a movie within the movie and try to sort of acknowledge the fact that we had to top our opening sequences from the other films. We were trying to, trying to give people, uh, you know, uh, value for their money. <laughs> I always liked sort of studying those John Woo films and going, man, how do they get away with that stuff? And to try to out John Woo, John Woo in a, in a sort of comic way, which is where this, this stunt here came from. I thought it was just sort of audacious to have him shoot the helicopter down from above. From above, yeah. <laughs> I wish I could claim that uh, I wrote this, but I didn't. But you guys talked it through with all of us, talked it through a lot, and took a lot of rounds of, like everything we do, it just gets discussed and discussed. Yeah, babe. That's Tom Cruise. Remember that day was... Wait, uh, we're not supposed to tell anybody. Oh. Oh, did you? <laughs> oh, we can tell them now because they're watching it. Oh, 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 right, yeah. right. Okay. That's Tom Cruise. <laughs> he was in our film, as you can see right now. And that's... But don't tell anybody. That's Gwyneth Paltrow, but don't tell anybody. <laughs> um, that was an amazing day because it was um, raining that day, and right before we started shooting, the clouds parted. And it was scary because each one of these people had just this very narrow window in their schedule um, to come and join us. And if any one of them really had said no or something had gone wrong, it was they were like all the perfect people for their part. And, and uh, They were all our first choices, too. Yeah. We put their names right into the script which was a secret script that we had. But um, we didn't think all, all of them would show up, but they did. It was kind <laughs> of a uh, field of dreams. If you write it, they will come. You better watch your friggin' self, because this is one doctor who does make... They helped us and each other kind of get there and stay in it. They were amazing for each other, I thought. They were having fun playing for each other, playing for you. And... It was just amazing to be in the makeup trailer, and, you know, there's Danny DeVito, Kevin Spacey, Tom Cruise, Gwyneth Paltrow. Steven Spielberg, and I'm looking along the line of all these people, and I thought, wow, that's kind of amazing. It was all shot in about a six or eight hour daylight day. Yeah. And every one of them was amazing. They were, they hustled to the marks, they came out of the trailers, you know, and just were ready to go and have a good time. And it was a, a really cool, really amazing day. Steven was. A blast to have on the set. I was nervous having him at first, and then, of course, he made it really fun and easy and gave me some great tips. Yeah. <laughs> some great movie-making tips. <laughs> and he helped us, obviously, beyond to just get it all yeah. together and, no, and keep he, everybody happy. Stephen uh, 
was the uh, major mojo behind getting all the people to uh, come, which is great, and figuring out how to get that uh, that statue look alike that right. isn't the statue that you think it is. <laughs> and uh, due to international copyright law, <laughs> due to international copyright law, but you should cheer as if it is, although it isn't. Here comes one of my favorite things in the movie when Stephen does this. <laughs> Stephen and Gwyneth. <laughs> they actually did that. They actually did their own stunts. He's a gymnast. People know that, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the things I said to Mike when we started doing this is that he can, Mike, you know, you. I can talk about you in the third person, I guess, for a second, just say so he can tap dance and sing and to get to see him do all these things and also be hilarious is such a, a rich treat. It's really uh, it's really cool to get to do these title sequences with Mr. Mike Myers. I'm also uh, a trained ballet dancer as well, as you can see. <laughs> that is my forte. I'm actually a quadruple threat. I can sing, dance, act, and I possess nuclear weapons. Good night. <laughs> and you can wear a mean tutu. I, I sure can, can. <laughs> can, can. <laughs> can tutu. I'll, you you do most of the talking, Jay. <laughs> there is Mr. Quincy Jones, who wrote Soul Bossa Nova, amongst the millions of things that he's able to do. That song changed this whole series when Mike heard that and uh, before the first movie and quickly rewrote a whole opening dance sequence to it, and we've always been really grateful to Quincy for that. 1962, that song. That's amazing. All right, everybody. Music video, take two. It's Britney Spears. It's Britney Spears. That's what I'm saying right there. <laughs> I'm actually, I am the dancer on the left there. That's me. <laughs> um, it's kind of amazing that Jay was able to work it out that I could play both Austin and the dancer on the left. You can see him right there. Um, and in fact, that's what I look like with my shirt off. Just please hold that visual in your mind as you watch the rest of the cinematic offering. That is Austin Powers and Goldmember. No prosthetics involved either. That I want to point that out. No, no. Britney Spears was really cool to come and do this and had such a sense of playing along and being a, a kind of uh, like having fun with her own persona and stuff. I think they all really did. Cool. Everybody yeah. came and came to play and be silly with their own public image. And she's very cool that way. She stayed with us like 20 hours that night. Yeah. It was a long night and really fun, actually. I shaved twice. I'm actually doing those flip-flops. And you know that I am because I know the precise term, which is called a flip-flop. Kim Kosky, the, the guy who's actually doing the flip-flops, not the undercut mic, is, uh, was the same guy who did the flip into the jag on the first movie and does a lot of the stunts for us. He's a really amazing gymnast who seems to like risk his life for some of these gags. It's unbelievable. I did that flip-flop. <laughs> Mike came up with the idea of these, uh, these hilarious exploding balloon things, which I always thought. Very cool to top off that, as well as this great pushing. This great visual effects launched us into all this stuff. Our visual effects guy, Dave Johnson, knows how to kind of make them look good, but also be really funny. Welcome back, Air Doctor. How was space? Space was cool, wasn't it, Mini-Me? One of the first jokes that we had um, that Michael McCullers came up with is the um, Mini-Me and the Baby Bjorn. 
Unless that was you, Jay, was it? I, no, I, I, had, I suggested <laughs> it on the second film. I know that's why I went quiet. No, I was going to let him have credit for it. I don't remember. <clears throat> I suggested I know it wasn't the, me. How about that? On the second one, I wanted you to have, as you Fat go. Bastard to have him in the baby view, and so that right. was left over. But it was McCullers who stuck him on to Dr. Evil here. So Very good. Thank you. It was you. one of those yes and we see exactly. an ad and that, all that stuff. I can happily say I had nothing to do with, but thought it was hilarious. The best part of the whole scheme is we all get our own assistance. Hi, I'm number three. Whoa! Fred Savage, or as I call him, Fred Savage. <laughs> this part was a great part in the beginning, but it just kept growing like it grew with the mole That's itself. Right. Like a mole onto the film itself, it grew, <laughs> never to be removed. He loved gold so much, he even lost his genitalia in an unfortunate smelting accident. Hence the name Gold. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say how much I love Vern in this. I was going to say the same thing. I love Vern in the whole movie. He just, he's like a Buster Keaton. He's like, he's this silent movie star. He has no dialogue and he just has this whole, this whole character star. He just creates these things with no dialogue. It's unbelievable how he's falling asleep here. And yeah. Very cool. Some of the snores are Mike Myers. Yeah. It's a secret. Not anymore. <laughs> Way to go. <laughs> <laughs> you want Dan Mini-Me? Use your words like a big boy clone. The irony of me saying to Mini-Me that he should eat chocolate and that he gets insane on chocolate is, is the fact that I actually ate chocolate all that day and was higher than a, a kite myself on uh, on the chocolate that you see in there and other chocolate that I, I brought t to the set. <sighs> Reese's, peanut butter cups. You're on chocolate right now. I am a little high on chocolate right now, yes, I am. <laughs> Though you cannot tell. It helps me with uh, verbal dexterity to have a lot of chocolate, including the last sentence that I just said. I always love that character, Philip, that's chocolate-driven, too. Yeah, well, that's me as a kid, without the harness, though. Thanks. Skedaddle. Right. You know, when you have kids, I think you're going to find that all kids are different. The um, chocolate on Vern's face is actually a... Um, isn't it a prosthetic? Some of it is actually, yeah, some kind of... Uh, attachable chocolate thing and some of it's actually real chocolate it's amazing the level of experimentation and science that goes into something like that there, there are probably 10 guys worked on how that chocolate should look on operation chocolate beard dr evil perhaps it's time that you finished there's um seth green and rj wagner seth is Hilarious in this movie. RJ's always hilarious. Just great. It's a great family now. Dr. Evil's family is uh, such a welcome thing to come back to. It's got its own dysfunctions and its own politics, and it's always so good with the way Dr. Evil just wants it. And I refer to him as Dr. Evil because he still seems like a separate guy by, because you transform yourself so completely to him. Thanks, Jay. Someday he'll have his own movie. Who, Seth? No, Dr. Evil. Dr. Evil? Yeah. yeah. Think. That'd be a lot of fun. Heal Mini-Me! Come on, got me a Marlin! Yeah! <laughs> did that stunt? Because that, that's an actual fallback stunt. There was a little bit of a... Make sure he's okay. <laughs> There's a couple of times in the film where Vern really... You know, he's a stuntman. He's a yeah. tough guy. He really likes to go all the way, too. And he hates it when we, we try to say, Vern, it's okay. You don't have to go all the way. And he's like, the next one will be the most death-defying. Mm -hmm. he he's so willing to just go, go, go. He's such a courageous little guy. 
What? Why don't you just call it Operation Ass Cream, you ass? I I'm sorry, did you want some ice cream? Yes, I'd love some chocolate ass cream. This whole triangle between you and Seth and Vern throughout the movie is um, one of my favorite relationship arcs in the whole thing. And actually says something about fathers and sons and trying to please, which it was great that it was so cool the way you guys worked that in thematically as well as comedically. That Seth is what you look like if you try to get your father's approval without right. doing it for yourself. And Austin learns the lesson in the end. I just point out that in this movie, me playing Dr. Evil, I just realized is the most Canadian sounding. Is this sort of like, yay, yay. <laughs> And your eyes were just a little tiny bit bluer, which mm. I thought was a cool evolution, too. Yeah. Contacts really hurt. They are absolutely painful. <laughs> That's not the butchest run-in I've ever done in my life. <laughs> I could be slightly more masculine, but... You know, it's okay. <laughs> Thanks, Jay. Thanks for putting that one in. <laughs> Oh, it's our pleasure to have comedy at your expense, sir. No, but I think Mini-Me does. This is the way the world really is run and officiated by the global judiciary. Just, yeah. You know, we, this is very authentic. I don't know if any of you have seen the little world court. But. If you notice there, it says, Toronto voted best city in the world, Maple Leafs win the Stanley Cup. That's a nice little uh, letter to home. Because I'm from Toronto, Canada, and I weigh 160 pounds in my stocking feet. In Mike Myers' utopia. Yes. In a perfect world, you wouldn't need a utopia. <laughs> in a perfect world. Okay. I like that suit, actually, and it's in my closet. Oh, good for you. Yeah. It's not my first rodeo, cowboy. We import a lot from England, you know, to make these movies. We steal a lot of really cool pop culture things and, and importing the world's best queen impersonator was yeah. a big move. But she couldn't do it so we have to use the real queen. <laughs> which was great because you know we wrote her in and then she showed up which is so amazing. It's cool being royalty when you can just appear in places and you don't really have to ask permission or there's no rights no, issues. She's on the Canadian dollar. No yeah. one asked me. One of the first times I ever saw Austin Powers was singing as the frontman for Ming T. Yeah, that's how I um, got into the character. We played in clubs around Los Angeles, and in the band there, you can see Matthew Sweet and uh, Jay's wife Susanna Hoffs, and that's uh, Stuart Johnson. Johnson, and uh, Christopher Ward is there, right in the middle. Between, yeah. You guys should perform. I think now. I think you should do an album because the songs BBC One and Daddy wasn't there. Two, they're two great songs. You guys should definitely. Well, that's Go my, out on the road, I think. Every comedian wants to be in a band, and everybody in a band wants to be a comedian. It's a, it's a related fantasy. They're successful songs, though. I think they're really, really cool. This was our thing of trying to keep in the 60s, but not let people forget that we were in the 2000s. You see video cameras and things, but it's still very much the vibe. It's Austin Powers! He was so funny. Yeah, you know. Awesome. Very sexy fun. Can I have of course! Your name is... And now we come to the Fuchs. We wanted to go to Tokyo, you know, and our version of Tokyo and the Fuchs were our first kind of Japanese flavor in the film. 
What are their um, uh, fashion punks, the uh, gals that hang out in Tokyo in these different fashion houses, like hysteric culture? I never knew that. I can't remember the exact name. We always call them the Hello Kitty girls, but that's right. just one form of the phenomena. Yeah. When I went to Japan to promote a, uh, Meet the Parents, we were seeing these incredibly colorful people who absorb pop culture, but in a very niche sort of clique sort of way. And it just seemed like it's the whole town is so Austin Powers. And in fact, your movie and your character are huge there. So they would come running up to you. And it just, I remember calling Mike and saying, we should go to Tokyo. And at the time, <laughs> we thought, we really will go to Tokyo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But of course, we did our backlot version which is kind of more fun well I've been to Paris Paramount and I've been to Paris France and I like Paris Paramount better so the so the old expression goes we did Tokyo Warner Brothers and Tokyo old Warner Hollywood lot and that's where we are here is the, um, the uh, outfits were designed by Dina Appel who did costumes on all three of the films and uh, keeps really doing an amazing job and the uh, the crew were very happy with that outfit. <laughs> they were very happy with that costume. What's great about the Fuchs, um, Diane and Carrie Ann, is they, as real-life people, they look a little bit alike, but Dina's costumes and the makeup and the hair are so totally transformed mm. them into actual identical twins. It's really fun to see uh, that kind of movie magic stuff. I love the Fuchs, I have to say. I no. think they're really fun. Correct me if I'm wrong. I know it wasn't me, but I think it was Michael McCullers. Michael came McCullers up. came up with it. Yeah, which is great. Twins, Basil, twins. Mr. Michael York, who um, plays Basil Exposition and is awesome. Who still looks like he's 35. And yeah. My best friend's favorite line of the whole movie is, Twins, Basil, twins. <laughs> well, no, actually, he was kidnapped after you were knighted. Ah. He was last seen on his yacht. Oh, yes, the HMS Shag at Sea. Exactly. One of the things that I was really happy about when you guys pitched the idea of the movie to me was taking it to this level of emotional involvement where where we actually care that Austin has a father and we asked the audience to buy that there was a father issue throughout the whole of the three films, which is... But just know, that you hadn't noticed. You hadn't yeah. noticed and yeah. sort of wink about that, but also sort of make it real. And this whole thing of of craving, you know, for there to be an explanation about why your father didn't show up at the nighting thing and just so many little touches and it, uh, I don't know, just resonated. And it was hilarious. It was clearly sentimental, but it was really, really funny too. And then having Michael Caine come and do it, it was just a home run, I thought. I wrote Michael Caine the most um, ass-kissy, suck-uppy, <laughs> beggy letter in the world, which he responded to, which I was <laughs> very happy about. He's a great guy, great stories. Oh. So fun to have him around. It's really great. My favorite um, story is um, uh, he was kind of like a Google search of uh, show business stories. So I would throw out a name and he'd give me a great story, and he always had a good story. But the shortest one was my favorite. I set out a, a name that I'm not going to say here, and he just went, Tohu Bastard. <laughs> is that the story? That's the story. He was a Tohu Bastard. I don't care who knows it. Ask anyone. Tohu Bastard. That was the story. Two words. People sort of stepped up when he was around. It was really cool. It was, he's, such a, he's the knight, you know. He's like a... Well, you know what they say, a, once an actor, always an actor. But once a knight is enough. <laughs> once a knight is enough. You could get sore. How didn't, did not, shiver. For me, this is a dad issue. Dead issue! Dead dad! Dead be dead! So um, this is a really cool set. I love the way this whole look, but this whole thing look rusty smith uh, you know all the sets are amazing but this i just wanted to bring it up now but the thing i love about 
the scene is your performance. I mean, this run up to the thing, the way you just we find you standing in that thing, not to just be asked to you right now, <laughs> but um, there's just such a really great performance thing back and forth between uh, Dr. Evil and Austin here, which cracks me up. Thank you, sir. This is the beginning of the Academy sequence. We should talk about finding these guys. We saw dozens and dozens of people for all these parts, and we weren't sure that we could ever find anybody to be as funny as Mike. And um, these guys, um, Josh and Aaron, showed up. Aaron, who's playing Austin here, and Josh, who's um, playing Dr. Evil, just we thought were really, really funny in the auditions and, and really funny in the film. What I love is all the stuff on the wall, like they have a poster from Bruges, because I mentioned <laughs> that he was Belgian, and there's also a, uh, a luge, because I mentioned <laughs> yeah. that there's luge lessons. And, and there's a, some B-movie bad guy, uh, like Space Gack and stuff. It's, it was, they always, Sarah Iglesia, this set tech writer, always comes up with really funny stuff in Rusty. Yes. <laughs> Hello, I'm number two. And these guys, Eddie and Evan, who played number two and, and Basil, their voices are so uncannily like the actors who play them. And people suspect, I'm sure, that we looped them, but they're actually their voices. They, they got tapes of the actors and studied them, but they, they were... They did it. Shut your dog! Ow! <laughs> who throws a cupcake? Honestly. Somebody came up to me of this whole movie and just said, when he got hit in the head with a cupcake, man, I mean, honest to God, <laughs> that was awesome. Man of mystery is Austin Powers. Well done, Austin! The other thing is I've had more than one cat owner person come up to me and say not enough Bigglesworth <laughs> and corner me and be really oh, angry wow. and I always have to point out you know Kevin Spacey has Bigglesworth and then there's young Bigglesworth at That's the Academy right. he's still in the movie Dad <laughs> Daddy <laughs> I had the best grades in the class, and I didn't get diddly squat. <sighs> Here we go. Tell me, Mr. Powers, what did you find on those sailors? A golden surprise, perhaps? How did... Yes. All the sailors had the meat and two veg painted gold. Yes, it's the distinctive calling card of a criminal mastermind, the aptly named... I look a little bit like George C. Scott and Patton here, I always think. The, the strength, the sort of power right there, yeah, exactly. No one ever won a war by dying for his country. He made the other portion of a bitch die for his country. I'll give you gold, member. You give me a transfer to a regular prison so that I could be with my beloved... Dr. Evil loves his mini-me. Yeah, he really does. Now, where's gold, member? Not where, Mr. Powers. But when? It was all I could do. You see how blinky I am in the wide? Right. I was trying to save the non-blinky for the close. As Dr. Evil? As Dr. Just Evil. Just hold that look. Yeah. Because oh, This is hurts. a delicious moment. This wasn't scripted. It just was us, you know, getting there and Mike finding this door and playing with it and uh, improvising this whole beat. One of my favorite little buttons on any scene we've ever done. 
Instead of hiding your father in some remote location, this is a callback to um, on Austin 2 where we went back in time with the VW uh, in the time travel hangar. But um, in this case, it was a pentmobile, which we looked hard a long time for and ended up sort of just making up our own. Um, mm -hmm. derived from several movies we saw, including Willie Dynamite. Mm. And stuff in the uh, American Pimp documentary. Right, right. Four Corners of the Earth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to uh, C.J. Roach, who uh, <laughs> is a white guy, um, to do uh, that one guy's run. What is it? <laughs> I can't do it. Yeah. I can't. It's such a great, one of the pimps has a great the, spiel. The uh, the thing, as a pimp, what you have to have is an incredible belief in yourself and zero self-doubt to convince people to be kind in of, your... Kind of like being a director, really, Jay, don't you think? <laughs> Not that all directors are pimps, but... Well, you know, I'll let you decide, American public. <laughs> but uh, that, that attitude, we, we really wanted... And Austin kind of is that anyway, so to go back into the 70s and, and show up like this was, uh, was a really great idea. Those shoes... Almost took my life on four or five occasions and almost broke my ankles on four or five occasions. And we have a lot of if you watch the outtakes. great outtakes of <laughs> me landing on my ass from those shoes, which were, I think they were like something like $30,000 each shoe, <laughs> something like that. They probably almost cost us that much if you'd actually turned your ankle, it would have been... Made from mink out. placenta and man-made fibers that NASA is working on right now. This is um, a great entrance for Beyonce Knowles, who we were so lucky to get. And, and uh, you know, even by the time this movie goes to DVD, I bet she'll be doing another huge movie. I mean, we've had so many calls about her already. She's going to be such a, a superstar. She's 20 years old and so charismatic, beautiful. She's just, we, we had a blast working with her on this movie. She's really great, and I'm, I'm that much older than her that I could say that she was really brought up well. That's how much older than her I am. <laughs> she was raised very well. Very polite girl. She, she is. And, like, hungry for, like, the culture of working in movies. She mm. studied you. Every scene, I would watch her watch you, and she would be taking note of it and sometimes picking up your accents and stuff. It was really funny. Yeah, it was very funny to have her do my Canadian accent back to me. And the Italian e accent. Yes. Bienici canoles. Allora. So uh, this is Goldmember, the um, title character and uh, the weirdest bad guy yet, in my opinion. Yes. The most outrageous and hilarious. I love, this is actually one of my favorite shots of him, this little pan around his face. Just the, the sort of perversity in the face. I loved that. Well, it's so, it's so interesting. Uh, I'd like to explain something to our, our, our Dutch viewers, if I may. The reason Holland was chosen is we wanted to have a country that nobody has an axe to grind with. It could have been Canada, which is another country that people tend not to get so upset with. But South Park did such a great job of making... Canada the villains in their movie so we were forced to use the Dutch <laughs> a country who everyone loves I'd like to point out as we do as we do good work Jay <laughs> there's Nathan Lane I'm sorry you got a lot of nerve bravo Nathan Lane who people know from the birdcage and if you've been to the producers uh you know I'm on Broadway is so funny and 
was so cool to come and he flew in like I think he had done a show and flew in overnight and hadn't slept for I don't know how long and came in and had these great ideas like wearing that caftan and mm-hmm. uh, and those big glasses when he first sat down it was so funny to you gotta love a man that comes in with the caftan suggestion <laughs> I rarely do come up with a caftan suggestion but when I do I'm always happy you have you come up with a lot of stuff related to your costumes, though. It's actually great to watch you work with Dina because you, you really do have a, an instinct for how things are going. She's great at executing them, but you really have a huge amount to, to do with how, how that stuff looks. This is an homage to the film After the Fox. It's a scene in which Peter Sellers is talking to this guy who's wearing a fez through this woman. So the woman is mouthing what the guy in the fez is saying. We did a change him up on that. We had a woman that Austin's talking to, Foxy, obviously, and Nathan Lane's playing the guy who's mouthing the woman. And instead of Peter Sellers trying to hit on the woman, we had the guy who's mouthing hitting on Austin Powers. So a little bit of a change him up on that gag. But, you know, I'm a huge Peter Sellers fan, so that's my homage. Absolutely. A loving send-up of a great Peter Sellers set piece. Yes. And here we have Michael Caine. I love that he shows up on that bed that's kind of callback to the uh, Fembot moment with Austin. And uh, your idea, which I always thought was good, was that Michael Caine's version of Nigel Powers would sort of be almost in some ways a little more Austin than Austin and, and kind of have the no self-doubt about his jokes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Even when they don't work. Yes. What's wrong with your neck? I took a Viagra. Got stuck in my throat. I've had a stiff neck for This being one of the best ones. Which um, had uh, seen its light of day earlier. And we're very green comedians. Nothing is, nothing <laughs> goes on recycled. When I was talking to Michael Caine about um, Nigel and, and Austin, we had uh, both shared a love of the, uh, the Carry On films, which is a series of films that were made in Britain. And there was a comedian named Arthur Askey who used to say, used to do a joke and then afterwards go, I thank you. <laughs> and that's where the I thank you comes from. What about this speak you guys do here? It's a uh, rhyming cockney slang. It was invented by prisoners in uh, in jail in London so that the guards would know what, uh, what the prisoners were saying. But my father used to use rhyming cockney slang because he was in the British Army and it traveled from prisoners to almost all Cockneys or, or Londoners uh, from the East End to all of England through the British Army. So my dad used to say in front of my Canadian friends, go across the frog and get us some jockeys. And that was go across the frog and toad road to get some jockeys, whips, chips, french fries. It was just always off of a, a rhyme, and yet somehow yeah. everybody knew what the rhyme was and what yes. the code was. Yeah, but my Canadian friends would go, your dad's a freak, man. <laughs> Melting accident. Hence the name Gold Member. <laughs> we are both swingers, you see. That's some package. Gold Member is. Um... I, I'd like to point out I do my own stunts. <laughs> Good night. I right, thank you. I get one for the assist, though. On that. Yes, thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, Many people have come up to me and said that Goldmember looks like Lee Strasberg in, uh, I think it's Godfather 2, the one where they go to uh, Havana. Like, oh. 
No. Bong and a blintz? No. no. Oh, well, then there is no pleasing you. It's not right. Ooh, hello. I want to be here. That's a keeper. Yes. Put it in the skin box, please. Vishy Ajesh. I'm peeling. Oh, that's just disgusting. The idea of eating skin, I had said that I wanted, uh, you know, sometimes with uh, English people, certainly if they go into the sun, they immediately burn, rarely tan. But, um, you know, a lot of like Germans and, and people from the Benelux region tend to get a lot of sun damage when they're down in like St. Martin's or St. Bart's. And uh, Greg Taylor, one of the producers, said, wouldn't it be uh, great if if he peeled and he ate his skin. And I said, oh, come on, that's disgusting. How would we do that? <laughs> it was funny, because when you would start the scenes, there would be all these little sort of Band-Aid things of skin attached to your head, and, and uh, through the course of the improvs, just one by one, like the yes. seventh veil, yes. <laughs> they would come off. I have to say, picking my own peeling skin and putting it in my mouth was fun. We worked forever on the sound of the... The chewing on that one scene oh, yeah. is hilarious. Come on now. This way, So this was our, um, this whole section here. A lot of the 70s stuff was our homage to uh, a number of black exploitation films that Mike and I really uh, learned to like. And, and uh, Beyonce kind of got into through her mom, Tina, who, who mm -hmm. knew all about them, which yeah. I thought was great. I don't know if you can tell, but that's rear projection. And we're not actually... In New York City. In the 70s. In the 70s. I'm not actually English. Because I'm Foxy Cleopatra, and I'm a whole lot of woman. 2002, here we come! All visitations limited to five minutes. That's Dr. Evil. <laughs> In the background, you can see Katie Couric playing the uh, prison guard. She came by. She was very nice. She was cool. She hung out for a whole day. She was very, uh, she was both having fun and trying to carry her sort of load for her show, you know, which was great. But she was really sweet and vulnerable. Like, was that good? How yeah, was yeah. that? She was concerned that she did a good job and at the same time had to sort of cover it. Exactly. And she really took it seriously in terms of like wanting to be funny and not, you know, just show up and be a cameo. She really wanted to do her thing for us too. And I was impressed by her. I thought she was really cool. You were adopted. I never met my birth parents. There was a car accident. I thought this looked great. And that actually looks like my mother in the 40s, early 50s. This was one that I have to admit, I, I was never sure we would get away with this, just in terms of its, the power of it, you know, like it would somehow be too cataclysmic or something. And by your, your instinct to just have it, you know, be part of this European film world and, and somehow connect back to that. And I, I mean, it was fun to go and shoot it, but I, I, uh, I was mostly going off of your vision of it, actually. And I, I, thought, it, I thought it worked really well. You thought it might, well, first of all, you can see my eyes are so red this day. This was like, my eyes were killing me that day yeah, from the I contacts. Remember. I was in agony because I think I got a little bit of dust or something. Yeah. And you can see how incredibly red they are. But um, you were concerned that the uh, having, you know, a smoking carcass yeah. forming a protective cocoon well, the line of always human made me laugh. The line always cracked me up, but I just wasn't sure if people would go with actually seeing the car explode. And people actually sort of laugh because the audience is just so sophisticated now. They, they see 
something like that. I know exactly what the tone is supposed to be. And if you if you do the extra thing of the genre reference and everything, having the, bleaching the film a little bit like we did and m matching that sort of Godfather vibe, they somehow they're they're right with you. And it's you never know tonally whether it's going to go. But I, I think it it actually clicked pretty well. Gentlemen, listen up, y'all. Here's the new plan. This prison set was actually an old power plant, which after the second day, I thought we were maybe shooting on California's version of Love Canal. <laughs> but, uh, oh, what do they call this? Yeah, it was, a, it was a little intimidating having these like billion volt transformers right outside and uh, radiating God knows what. But you couldn't really hear so good inside. It was really echoey. And, but it, to get to do these choreographed comedy things, I mean, you got to do one in Austin too, but uh, I just love... I love these musical things, I have to admit. I go I fall for it every time. On MTV, God only knows, got my mini me in the GP, see how it goes. Evil's all that I see, and you ask me my name? G to the Rizzo, E to the Bizzo, I to the Lizzo. Well this was um written by my wife, Robin, and uh I actually think she's turned to me and said, You're doing another rap this time? And I said, uh, I really I don't have an idea for it and she said, Oh, hold on and then she she wrote a rap in like 10 minutes. I, of course, I suffer everything and, and, you know, to write a half a page takes me like two days and I, there's a lot of gnashing of teeth and pulling of hair and Robin just wrote it in like 15 minutes. And then uh, Cody Lutz helped out on it as well. And Marguerite Derricks, our choreographer, uh, came in and, and worked with all these great dancers who helped us, uh, you know, who, who some of whom I'm sure had been involved in rap videos uh, and helped us kind of have an authentic reference to those things. It was fun. This was a pickup on the day as well. Yeah, uh, improvised. A lot of the stuff you guys did, you made up on the day uh, when we were... Yeah, that um, clock and the whole Flavor Flav yeah. thing was was made up on the day. All that rear projection we shot in like two hours uh, at the end of the day, and we were like not sure it was going to work because we had limited time, a limited thing, and Mike just thought, oh, no, let's do it, let's do it, let's do it. And then we just it just turned out really funny, I thought. Vern is, <laughs> Vern Troyer, I mean, I how know. does this guy do it? He just cracks me up. I know, he's so hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> to the Bonnie and Clyde music. And this was uh, another pickup. Yeah. The uh, the getaway on the motorcycle was... Was a green screen thing. And again, you know, we go to our guys like Dave Johnson and our great editors, which we should mention too, John Pohl and Greg Hayden, who, who we, you know, come up with something. Michael mentioned an idea and, you know... Ten minutes later, on the on the fancy digital editing machines, they've worked it out. Even the digital stuff, sometimes they'll, the effects stuff, they'll sometimes just do a rough out, and it's really fun to see it work. You've got mail. So, what is this thing doing? Now, who's your friend that uh, gave us the "You Have the Right to Remain Sexy"? Steve Chabosky just called up one day and said, "I've always loved your films and the Austin films, and uh, you know, I just I don't know why I heard you were doing this Foxy Cleopatra character, and I I just have this." line and you can it's yours it was weird yeah. it just it was really funny so I know. you have the right to remain sexy sugar and uh then it actually got in the trailers and everything so bing 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 the, uh, bing the sound of the elevator started to be our our code when we were cutting the movie to like let's speed it up bing bing <laughs> let's speed it up to when the mole walks in because we had uh, sort of done a very very this scene had been at least 10 times its length and things had worked in it, but nothing in this whole scene had worked as well as the mole. And the whole mole sequence starts with the elevator that goes bing, bing. So our code to let's speed the let's editing along, let's get to the funny thing real fast, was <laughs> bing, bing. 
Yes, most excellent agent we've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Now, I wasn't this is some of my favorite kind of comedy right here, just the tension and all four of you guys just playing it like this. If you watch Basil, if you watch Michael York, his level of suspense of like, is Austin going to do this right or not? And you watch Beyonce on top of Mike's incredible performance, you know, which is people are really studying. But you also see these other support characters, you know, thrown in like this. And it's just, these it's people just so enjoyable. Suffering what an idiot Austin is. <laughs> and this was all improvised. Mike came up with a ton of this stuff uh, on the day. This Meet you. Nice to meet you, Mole. Don't say mole. I said mole. I said mole. And then uh, this is this is the great one right here. When <laughs> that, <laughs> the timing on that yeah, is just well, so good. All hats off to Mr. John Paul and Mr. J. Roach because I never would have thought that playing that mole on the back would ever have played. Yeah, and, and Greg Hayden. Uh, both the editors were really great on finding the timing of this. But this is where Mike comes through again just throwing that into the end the moly 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 if they'd stayed on that longer i would have started to laugh <laughs> a lot of shots are that way if you just saw the ne very next frame you would see somebody busting up this was a great idea of mike's to have the bubbles come out of that submarine but man that submarine just looks so great to me i uh, dave johnson the effects guy just we thought of it and we thought oh this would be funny and then to see it actually look like a nuclear sub skin and, mm. and all that stuff and the feet flippers and the whole sub layer came like three weeks before we started yeah. the shoot. We were going to do a, an, an oil, oil derrick and a, uh, an oil uh, tanker, and then we were we were different kinds of boats. Then we were going to be Mount Fuji for right. a while. And uh, Rusty mentioned to me that his kid was into submarines, so we we started thinking of submarines. And then the idea of having it be shaped like Doctor Evil, I think, was a, a rusty thing, a little bit m like the volcano mm. from the last time. And the penguin sub in the Batman right. movies as well. Exactly right. Oh, yes, 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 yes. This is a keeper. That's made of uh, cornstarch, wasn't it? Yeah. And it's very delicious. A little bit of Salty. malt vinegar, a little <laughs> salt and a little pepper. Why not? Yes, salty. Yes, that was good. This guy, Mark Milner, is a... Is a like world class eye surgeon yes. playing the playing the valet. He's my wife's best friend's husband and he's been in all three of the Austin Powers. He actually does LASIK surgery with lasers and he was a guy looking after the giant laser in Austin Powers too. <laughs> Which was great because there's a lot of irony because Nobu who plays Roboto is eaten by fish and he owns Nobu Matsuhitsa and he's a sushi master chef. Eaten by the sharks. Eaten by the sharks. Lower the glue! Lower the glue! Oh! Oh! Scheiße! Well, congratulations! This is one, another one of those set pieces which we have to make look easy and fun, but man, it took so much to get that globe to be the right. Yeah. And I got cut in my forehead, too. To be the right thing that it would, wouldn't, you know, cave, me cave out. Mike's head in. <laughs> Ah, such a great physical bit, this whole thing. And uh, again, just NASA, teams of NASA engineers literally yeah. calculating the way that meteor would swing for such a funny joke. Way to go, a-hole! All right, hold on. Will I try and find my balls? There's Mindy Sterling, who uh, I forgot to mention earlier in the uh, in the visiting Family. room scene. Oh, right. He's so incredibly hilarious. 
as the white trash disguise version of Frau Farbissa. Yeah. She did such a great job in that scene, very funny. The whole ensemble that comes back with Austin, Michael York, R.G. Wagner, Heroes Number 2, Seth Green, and uh, Mindy and Vern. I mean, it's it's such a great team. They could just, you guys could just keep doing this over and over. You could have like, you could have like love letters, the play, I just keep right. reading it. And it's so, it's so delicious to watch you guys improvise. Great improv artists, all of you guys. Yes, I have a Dutch accent. Isn't that weird? People always ask, how, do, how is it when Mike's playing multiple characters in a scene? Uh, you know, what's it like to orchestrate those? And it's really challenging for us logistically because of the makeup thing, and he has to, he can only do one character per day. But Mike does such a great job of pretending what he would be like if he was the other character. And we have these, these people who read with us. The, the main guy who reads with Mike as his other character is a guy named Eric Weisenreid, who's a, a real actor and really good at it and really funny. Well, those guys, I like their versions of my characters, actually. But it's just, you know, him playing here as ops himself as Goldmember. It just looks like two totally different characters that were played by two different actors. And that's just because Mike can pretend. Give yourself up while you still go. There's Michael Caine. I kept going up to him throughout the whole shoot and just going, my name is Michael Caine. My name is Michael Caine. <laughs> and he would correct you and no, he, he goes, no, 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 no. You're putting too much of a pause before Michael Caine. <laughs> my name is Michael Caine. I tried, don't blink. Cause don't, don't blink. You blink, blinky. Don't he has, blink. He has this thing in his acting book that if you blink, you lose power. Well, it's true. I mean, he's absolutely... I, I know. That's what he's, I was saying before a, about having the contacts. And his the book is amazing. His book on acting technique. Everybody should read that. And film acting. You know, I think it's a shame the way they treat you. Just because you're one-eighth their size. Vern is so hilarious in this movie. So is Michael Caine. He's so great, but Vern is having to just react. This was a, a tonally challenging scene... It was, you know, fun to try to find a way for it to be sort of odd, but not too odd. <laughs> well, I mean, he's trying to ingratiate himself to Mini-Me by saying, let me see your Johnson, which is like, <laughs> which is a little strange. It's a little strange. And uh, and that Mini-Me would just kind of be persuaded. But somehow this would become their bonding moment. Their bonding moment. And um, it's a tribute to Mr. Kane that he got the tone. Because I kept saying, bigger, bigger. And he just found the perfect way to yeah. play it. It was excellent. You ever get tired? You can use it as a kickstand. <laughs> and again, Vern, you know, takes a scene like this without without dialogue and just his reactions, every one of them are just priceless. <laughs> this is a great shot. Very cool. This is a completely stitched together shot. They've found a jet, found pieces of the city and found Mount Fuji, which is nowhere near an airport. And, uh, and made that all up. It's really pretty extraordinary. This is rear projection, too. I don't know if you could tell. Now, it's meant to be that you can tell, to sort of have that vintage movie feel. Yeah, there was a time when uh, film stocks were still really slow, and it was just crazy cost-prohibitive to shoot on location at all, and there was a time when everything you saw in a car was, was a rear projection, and... Nowadays, it's, it's sort of something you miss, but you don't see it very much, so we, we like to have fun with it. That's fat bastard. This guy was great. The, uh, the referee, he spoke very little English, but would always say yes. So <laughs> we'd say, hey, can you stand over there? Hey, hey, hey. 
and he was excellent. He gave so much authenticity to the sumo match, which we were clearly, you know, turning upside down in every way. And uh, just having him be there in that perfect ceremonial robe and and the background people here that were so good. They Those were people. so patient and nice. And oh, they're so into it. They would applaud after takes, and that was a great night. The suit, of course, is extremely uncomfortable and uh, ends up smelling like... It's made with sulfur, but also my own sweat, and I drink like about 30 glasses of water, but it's impossible to pee in that thing. So uh, I sweat it out anyway, so I never have to pee, and, and it ends up smelling like my hockey bag. <laughs> Which is not pleasant. It must weigh 100 pounds easily. I don't know how much it weighs, but it feels like it weighs 100 pounds. I end up having two kind of depressions on my shoulders. It's so uncomfortable that it helps you getting into character, too, I find. Yeah. (laughs) This was an improv. Yeah, this whole toilet stuff, all the talking to the... In the shadows. In the shadows. Three takes. Yeah, it was really funny. We hired, uh, you know, like the top Wawashi tires. The people who tied the diapers mm-hmm. were from Japan, and we flew them across Is that the true? Pacific to, <laughs> <laughs> to tie those Wawashis and to tie the hair on the. On but the, they all uh, stayed at the hotel by the 405. Was <laughs> kind of unfair. <laughs> you really are a fat bastard. You know, that hurts my feelings. I've tried going on a date, you know. The zone, you know, carbs are the enemy, you know. We don't like carbs, you know what I mean? Oh. Who's your friend? Oh, I'd like to have a go with that filly. Oh, do you find me sexy? Oh, look at my titties. Oh, ah. Shut your mouth. Mmm, yeah. All right, that's enough. Okay, you got me. Put it there, would you? All right. Okay. A lot of the stuff between Mike and Beyonce here was improvised. And one of the great things about Beyonce is, you know, as beautiful she is and, and she can be tough, but she's really a good comedian. And she, she and Mike were great together when, when Mike would start improvising. And she really kept up. I was really impressed by that. They're running across the uh, bellies. It was a reference to uh, Live and Let Die when he runs across the alligators. Right. Wirefighting maneuver. <laughs> I just hope my wirefighting team is ready. This stunt stuff, this uh, wirefighting, the stunt guy had to get into, Yoshio had to get into that suit too and mm. had to do these like crazy backflips. No, he's a, he's a Marine, that Yoshio. This was a much longer sequence at one point and it got down to this concept which... Mike always loved, and, I, and you guys came up with in that script phase of the wire breaking. Because he's so through, fat. Because he's so fat, and just, isn't this magical? I, I always thought it was such a great part of it. And, uh, well, I thought we, we really couldn't add anything to wire fighting because the rate of adding stuff to wire fighting is like, if we're thinking of it, somebody thought of it yeah. three years ago, and you know what I mean? Exactly. So all I could think of was, what if we did wire fighting and he was so fat he broke his own wire? But cutting to the guys and uh, all that stuff of just having the the sort of fourth wall break down and see the machinations of wire fighting, I thought was really funny. A lot of that stuff is from the uh, uh, from the monkeys TV series where they would constantly talk about all the writers. 
like at one point he goes, gee, who writes this stuff? And then they walk over to a room and then there's this opium den with these, <laughs> with these uh, Asian guys smoking opium with typewriters <laughs> and they hand him a script. Fair and unfair will always be tragically skewed. Did you just soil yourself? Maybe. The vulnerability that Fat Bastard occasionally shows where he's just ready to cop to being disgusting and then, nah. Do you know what's <laughs> just disgusting? You know what's interesting <laughs> to me is, is in, in the last little while, people coming up and, and being so uh, happy with the Fat Bastard sequence. Right. But when it goes to the testing process, invariably the cars will always tell you, Fat Bastard, we're upset with it, it's right. wrong. It is such a funny, guilty pleasure that once the movie comes out, people always go, oh, that thing with the fat bastard I really liked. We had such strong uh, feedback about it on the second one, and it literally is many, many people's favorite character of all the characters. Um, I know. It's, it cracks it's, me up. Hey, Pop. Hey, Scotty. This whole idea of how was that um, somehow Scott would crave so much being... His Turning into his father. And, and uh, yeah, getting his approval that he would start to metamorphosize himself into being, to looking like Dr. Evil. Or change. Yeah. Yeah. Just because. <laughs> pretending like I didn't know the word metamorphosize. Those uh, sharks were awesome. They're uh, mechanical sharks. Who who made them? Walt Conti was the guy who, um, who did the sharks for us, who did the sharks for like Deep Blue Sea. I mean, that was the kind of measure of us getting to keep going with the series was that you, we actually, you had written sharks with lasers attached to their heads in the first film and we just kept getting scaled down to... We just couldn't afford it. And by the third one, we could afford it. And the first one, we had to do really scary bubbles in the <laughs> yes. water and throw plastic fish through the air. And, and now Walt Conti could come in and do these amazing animatronic fish, which one of my favorite days on the set was Mike as Dr. Evil having a conversation with these puppeteered sharks and, and doing jokes and they would nod if they liked them or shake their heads no. And No, they, nothing. You didn't like that joke. Shark, you didn't like that joke. And sometimes I'd think you were doing it for the crew and then a couple times I'd look over there and there was nobody paying attention Just to you. Me. You'd still be talking the to the sharks. They remind me of my dogs. <laughs> they remind me of my little puppies. And they, they had a personality. They were really great. But it was a nice, a nice measure of getting to do it. Well, uh, so when I was playing Dr. Evil and I saw that I actually could get sharks with laser beams attached to their heads, I was really happy. And, and it shows in that scene when you're, when you're like, you got those for me? It's like, it was a very touching moment. Oh, this is uncomfortable. This is my brother's favorite thing is the, this is uncomfortable. He doesn't understand. He's small. <laughs> Again, I love the way your relationship plays here. And I, I like how the head leads. Look. There. He leans into it. The head leads the motion. And then you and Seth, it's just great having a guy like Seth play with you because the two of you guys just come up with some hilarious stuff. He's so funny, Seth Green. Hello, Foxy. Austin. We've confirmed what fat bastard told you. And that's um, Nobu Matsuhisa. He saw earlier at the sumo wrestling arena. So Roboto had the technology to build Goldmember's tractor beam. Which means Roboto will lead us to Goldmember. Which means Goldmember will lead us to my father. Whenever we wanted to save Japan, we just kept sticking Mount Fuji behind everything. <laughs> it's like going to Paris and there's always the Eiffel Tower in every shot. The irony is Mount Fuji is near no urban center. So, But it says... Hopefully we'll get big laughs in Japan with that. 
But, you know, my wife's from Queens and she watches movies from New York and, and you know, somebody makes a right and all of a sudden they're on Broadway and, they, and she goes, because <laughs> that's not possible. She like stands up in her chair. Liars! Lies! <laughs> I'm looking for my father. He was kidnapped. Please eat what? This was a very hard scene to put together. It's one of those scenes where we spent a lot of Saturdays, even during the shoot, rehearsing and rehearsing and rehearsing the, to try to get the subtitles to line up just right and time everything. And the dilemma for me was whether you guys should actually refer to them in that plane right. that was in front mm. of you. And that, that that actually made sense to people is, is pretty amazing. Yeah. You had a great sense for that, I thought. And then we just sped it up. We kept going, bing, bing. <laughs> bing, bing. Make the jokes come faster. <laughs> Because it was really, it was several good jokes in about five times this length. That uh, geisha yeah. lady is from Texas or something? Linda Kim. She's she's actually Korean and she's from Texas. Yes. That's right. <laughs> she had this one line that we did end up cutting out where she goes at the end of the scene, y'all come back now here. Y'all come back now, you hear? In the geisha get up. That way I wouldn't misread the subtitles, making it seem like you're saying things that are dirty. I'm sorry to hear about your father, but I can't help you. Please excuse me. I have another appointment. The store we had to figure out, remember, because it would have to slide a certain way. and Yeah, everything had to be sort of engineered to make the titles just show up the right Now, time. her hat that she's wearing is exactly like a hat that I wore when I hosted a TV show in Toronto called Boogie Junior. <laughs> Tell me something I don't know. I opened mouth, kissed a horse once. Say what? That's something Mike had many improv lines that we could have used for that instead of open mouth, mouth, kiss the horse, including... Tell me something I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I can make my... I'll say, tell me something I don't know. I, I can make my nipples wink. <laughs> that was it. That was the one that always killed me. There was like a dozen of them. I think we stuck some of them in the DVD, so... Hi, what's this? Hi. But we had three scenes in a row that had a lot of, like, choreography that needed to be figured right. out that just took forever. And there's points at which we lost hope. And This one was really hard because it was a sound joke and it was a visual joke. And uh, it had to just be so carefully aligned. And still, what you find is it's difficult to stay funny when you're working so hard on the engineering of it. This was an accident when it runs the uh, water pump. Ran out of water. It just started spurting like that. There was going to be some other things here, like drinking coffee, coffee and cranberry juice. Yes, that's right. <laughs> that was I'm just so pleased that people laughed at asparagus. I'm, I'm a man of simple pleasures, and it was, it's just a joke that it's just silly. That was very funny. But I must say, Mr. Mr. Roach, all of this was very well staged, sir. You did a very good job of taking the script and making storyboards. And it's really a fun puzzle to crack because you you know it's going to be funny. You know it's going to be funny, and you you just have so many people around you who are so smart, and and uh, if you just hang with it. But you know, we all we all just commit to it and go to town. But it's a little bit like doing a circus routine, I would mm -hmm. imagine, where you just keep trying, keep trying until it's beyond the technical and, and you get to actually do the funny thing you do and that's it's a that's little bit really like that. I worked in the circus for about 15 years um, <laughs> it's a little bit like that it's a little better food 
Circus people are good people. I just want to make that point, if I could. Our apologies to uh, the Japanese who, for whom we may have mistranslated some of that yes. security guard dialogue yes. in the subtitles. Um, but we we tease because we love. That's right. You need these Nobu uh, had appeared once before in the movie Casino. He's friends with and, and business partners with Robert De Niro uh, in the restaurant world. So he had, he had had one movie appearance before, but he was uh, he was very um, eager to do a really really good job, and and uh, it was great to work with him because he was he he just wanted so much to be good, and he was. He actually turned out did a really great, great job. This was uh, a little homage to uh, that moment in Goldfinger when James Bond is strapped to the table where the laser is heading towards mm. us. And then that's where he goes, Goldfinger, do you expect me to talk? No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. <laughs> I think that's Gert Frobe. Who plays Goldfinger? Yeah. Austin, gold member's getting away. Ah. <laughs> Those um, clogs on the fourth take, the right one exploded because they're made of fiberglass. And uh, they just exploded. Yeah, it just the weirdest. I, I blew a clog. <laughs> That's how a woman should smell, especially one as beautiful as you. I love the sound of them on the... That's the real production sound, too, with them clanking on the... I wanted to try to get Mike to roller skate because I knew he was a really great skater and I'd seen this Charlie Chaplin thing. And But Mike wanted to wear clogs and it was that great thing where we each have a thing we want to do and now you have clogs with roller skates. That's right, yes. <laughs> I got chocolate in your peanut butter. You yeah. got peanut butter in my chocolate. That was a funny merger. That's a great car, that, that Mini. And uh, I'm not paid to say that, but uh, it's very cool. Yeah, the, uh, I don't know the make of the uh, little electric cars. Sparrows, they're right. called. Uh, I don't, that's the model. I don't actually remember the the, uh, the make of them. But um, Gold Members was a modified Sparrow, and um, we had to ask permission to make that particular modification. <laughs> oh, you're welcome, man. Shut up and turn around, please. This again is all rear projection and uh, second unit photography uh, underneath um, on Lower Grand in Los Angeles. This is our backlot Tokyo. This whole section was done in this one little cul-de-sac uh, on, on the Warner Brothers backlot. And Rusty Smith and uh, Sarah Iglesian and the whole art team just turned it into Tokyo. And these guys did a great job. These guys, I mean, the people in it actually what, what made it, including these two guys. And Marco Schnabel directed this whole section including those guys, the whole Godzilla thing. There's the little uh, Pokemon guy running out of the way. One of the great things about Japan is just all these animated anime and cartoon characters. There's so much color, and it's great to get that in. Breaker, breaker, one, niner, this is Goldie Wang. All right. Now, that's one of the uh, guys who works in the crew's hat. <laughs> yeah, the like, electrician's hat. That he wore a lot. He had, like, about five different hats that he wore. And I think it says Hawaii on it. But it has a big fish, like a, a grouper or something. Marlin or something, yeah. I am entering your mouth now, over. 
This submarine, you know, you can see through the window, the front windshield, and it, it was, we just shot that, this is down in San Pedro, this dock, and Dave Johnson put the sub there, put the water spring out of it. The whole thing is just completely uh, CGI, except for the dock itself. Back up. Well, that's fairly condescending. The day that we shot this was the perfect time of day for me. <laughs> I think we started at like, I want to say we started at like 5 o'clock yeah. and we wrapped it around 3 o'clock in the morning. 5 o'clock in the afternoon to 3 o'clock in the morning, which if you've worked on Saturday Night Live for six years and at Second City Theater Company for two years, that is prime time. It's the one thing I can't stand about movies is getting up early. But I'm, I'm happy to have a job. But having said that, <laughs> you'd like to have the blood sugar kick in? No, it's great when, you know, the crew, everybody was like eager to pick the times that worked for everybody and, and uh, we were able to shoot later and later because a lot of people perform, a lot of funny people are, are funnier, you know, as the day goes on and it's hard to be funny at 6.30 in the morning when you, you can barely think. I, I, I think I'll go even further. I think it's impossible to be funny. <laughs> this was one of the first nights um, Mike and Michael Caine worked together uh, and when I saw Mike with... Michael Caine, I just felt like they were related and they, they I were felt like I was related to him. In fact, you know, he, he would, uh, I would make suggestions and, and I'd say, what do you think? And he just got, no, Mike. And I go, fair enough. You're absolutely right. It's a bad idea <laughs> because he just turned into my father. And I think if we had worked together for another three weeks, he would have, uh, he would have ended up giving me a spittle bath, <laughs> combing my hair. When you, there was one other scene we did before this went, which isn't in the movie where you ran and hugged each other in the lobby of the of the movie theater at the end and when i saw the look on your face uh, you know just how excited you were to be hugging michael mm -hmm. Caine, it was just the most delicious father-son actor moment you know you've ever seen it was really great personally thanking you for switching sides Martin's so hilarious in this and so is fred savage we shot Mr. this Savage. scene like Two months ago, it seems yes. like. I mean, yes. this was, we shot this, the very last thing, months after production was over, we went and shot this. Because partly two things, we knew some of the funniest stuff was you and Vern doing physical comedy. And Fred's character had grown and was, you know, stealing some great moments in the movie. So why not call all that back? And uh, Mike and Michael and some friends got around and just talked about all the funny stuff they could do together and, and out came this scene really late in the process. Oh, you want to be friends, huh? <laughs> Wait a tick. A joke is coming up that I just want to give props to uh, my friend Jay Kogan that came up with the big bottle and then the mini bottle. <laughs> Which, thank you Mr. Jay Kogan and Mr. Rob Cohen as well. It's great when you have a lot of great writer friends who have who have always been very cool about just throwing in jokes and it's like fun your friend that uh, threw Chibosky, in the, you yeah. have the right to remain sexy. It's just cool when people like characters and you know without worrying about it just call up and say hey I got an idea why don't you guys try this? Yeah, well, that's what it's like working at uh, Saturday, Saturday Night, Night Live. Live. Mm -hmm. Oh yes, I'm sure Austin and Minnie will get along famously. <laughs> no, I guarantee nothing will happen to Minnie me on my watch. <laughs> I think my favorite thing in the, the world was, was, was the skillet, because <laughs> that is completely made of crazy soft rubber, but you put a sound effect on it. 
Could you keep the rubber skillet? Because I've never seen you enjoy a prop more. I love the rubber skillet because <laughs> you could whack it on people's heads and it didn't hurt. And, and it looks exactly like a rubber skillet. And it's like an icon of comedy. Yeah, from, it's a rubber chicken and rubber skillet. Hundreds of years old, I'm sure. People have been using rubber skillets. By the way, that is the biggest take I've ever done in my life. <laughs> the broadest take I've ever done in my life that, was that take that, that back was... there. So oh. <laughs> Sorry about that, old chap. Sorry. So Vern was wearing a helmet and, and hockey pads underneath that thing when, when they were whacking him. And then when, we, when Mike picked up the bag, there's a little animatronic Vern in there. Um, Vern referred to it as Smurf One or something, I yes. can't remember. And it would wiggle when he picked him up. And uh, it was great. But, that, you know, if Vern had his druthers, he would have wanted to be in that bag. It's true. He would have. He was, he was actually, can I just do it? And Just put me in the bag. It's like, no, Vern. You can't risk your life. He's a funny dude. He did stunts for years as a, for like kids films and, and yeah. animal things. And, and now it's so great to see him be sort of recognized for how talented he is and still be able to do the stunt thing. So you decided to join us, huh, Mini-Me? Mm-hmm. Welcome to the good side, my mini This was shot late as well. Yeah, this was one of our, our post-production shoots. I mean... Mike uh, was always very aware that people would want a sequel to earn its way, you know, and so every everything had to be as funny as it could, and every step we said, isn't there something funnier we could come up with? And so we just kept doing it, you know, right this, until the very last second that we could and kept coming up with new stuff. And that's a tribute to uh, UJ and uh, Eric McLeod and and uh, Greg Taylor and, and John Michael Lyons, McCullers and all John the producers, Lyons. Yeah. And just, the studio who, who you know, yeah. would say, really? And then we'd, they'd say, okay, and just let us keep doing and it. And then they'd see it. it and go, thank you. You added a really funny scene. So You know, an insanely uh, productive post-production team who just kept up with us, just like our, the rest of our crew. I mean, everybody on our whole crew is always so eager to run and hustle to catch up with us and keep up with us, I should say, and sometimes be ahead of us. But they're everybody's always like school of fish we shift gears they all shift with us and the whole team was enables us to do stuff at the last minute all the time and i think anybody that's been on saturday night live will will drive people crazy because on saturday night live you're just so used to just it just changes so fast yeah. and the whole entire mechanism has been doing it for 25 years that they just that's why well, we're we're doing it in new jersey now okay great fair enough yeah Fly in the New Jersey sets. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it is really a great spirit, and, and it takes a while for people. It's why we work with the same crew over and over is because, you know, people almost need to get used to the kind of m- madness that is our energy. I mean, we're just like, go, go, let's do it better. We can do it better. Yeah. You know, and they they get it, and then once they do, it, you know, they, they just keep coming back over and over. Yeah, and it's, it's like Eugene McCarthy, the prop guy. Yeah. It's just... Eugene. I had said on Inside the Actor Studio that you can't improvise props, and then he sent me a postcard that said... You can't improvise props, question mark? Hello? That was the, that was the postcard. <laughs> Love, Eugene. And cut to, for both Austin 2 and Austin 3, you know, every day we'd be throwing a prop idea at him. A and prop or a sign you had to come up with. And he just, like, they'd go back to their truck and, like, five guys would spend three hours of solid sweat just, like, you know, whipping something into action and bring it out onto the set. The guy playing the eye in Titans is a dear friend of mine, Jimmy Yato. Very funny man. Check it out. Those remind me of boobs. Boobs, Ozzy. These filmmakers are just. This was a, a a really enjoyable day of shooting. Also, one of the later days where we we didn't want, really want to disrupt their lives, and we showed up, spent an hour, you know, shooting and. Uh, 
and got to be part of the the Osborne's family world for a little yes, while. Yes, we were in the Osborne house, <laughs> and we were we were shooting our EPK video team was shooting us, and the MTV video team was shooting them, shooting us, and it was like. There were so many cameras on that, so there were more cameras than people. Yeah, McLuhan would have had to have been taken out on a stretcher. <laughs> I'm sure we'll be in the Osborne second season. We've got to shoot this thing, Sharon, you know, because we've got to... <laughs> can just never have too many shots of Beyonce in a neoprene suit. Or or Vern, for that matter. <laughs> His face kills me. I like the um, strategically placed two big red balls in the background. There was an anatomical structure to the submarine that, um, you know, if you mapped it out like one of those, you know, anatomical dolls, you could probably... Get yourself in trouble. Including those two big red balls in the background. <laughs> oh, I haven't laughed that hard since I was a little girl. Thank you. Hmm. Oh, you're not joking. No. In fact, if you don't give me the bonus... Hey, Dad. Hey, Scotty, how are you, sport? Whoa! Why don't you let me take care of this? Okay. Oh! Those sharks were awesome. The, everything about them was animatronic and robotic, except that they actually had to be fed human flesh was the weird thing about them. I, did, I thought that was a bit excessive, but... Hey, man, we got the sharks. We got the shot. Finally, we, we got, got the sharks, sharks the and the shots. We got the shot. Nobu was eager to sacrifice anything for the film. Scotty, take it down and not... Shh. It's creeping a bit. Let's go. disguise there's only one uniform this is the beginning of uh, a very ingenious if i may say so but mostly in credit to to mike and michael mccullers who who came up with this and i'm sure greg taylor threw in some ideas too on this as we were working it out but it was uh, literally hundreds of people all teaming up to engineer all this stuff there's so many weird things mike's hanging from wires there that Dave Johnson's whole team painted out, and Jack Gill and his team arranged uh, with Mike Minardis, the special effects guys, to have Mike be supported by Vern. Vern is actually steering Mike around. Actually, when he turns, Mike turns, but it's all on cables, and that's um, on a track up and down that that hallway. I did. This is um, my uh, comedy partner when I lived in England, Neil Malarkey. We were in a comedy double act called Malarkey and Myers, and uh, he was in the first Austin Powers playing the... Uh, quartermaster. The quartermaster who uh, gives me the uh, one penis pump, one Swedish-made penis enlarger. That's not my bag. One receipt for a Swedish-made. <laughs> Another one of the great, great guest star appearances. You know, Neil was, Neil was great to work with, and he really loved... He really went with the idea of the sloshing... The sloshing apple juice, which is very funny. Hello. I love that it has a froth on it. This was the last night of actual principal photography. Oh, yeah, that's right. We were all so beat and 
going, wait, that spray is not enough. That's too misty. Oh, no, it's got too much force now. And Yeah, and I was drunk. Go behind that screen and strip down to your skin. Just Neil's reactions there are so good. And then I'll just go to that screen. This is all suspended by wires, again, that are painted out. And Vern is straining to steer Mike around, uh, and the, the wire guys are following Vern's lead. So Vern had a lot to do with the, the sort of directions of everything. Come on, hurry, the map. This screen was a topic of much debate. It went through about, I don't know, eight drafts of screen. This is where I think your training in Saturday Night Live is, comes in so handy because you have a sense of how to have something, you need clarity in the joke, so the shadow had to be crisp, but if it was too clean, like a straight across flat canvas, it would be too uh, pushed and forced, and it would be clearly set up just for the sake of the joke. And you, the audience Which it is, to, I mean, it is, yeah. but you just want it, the, the audience doesn't want it to go, it was too steady up Yeah, and uh, that, that balance is always something you're, it's fun to, to hash out with you in the Well, I was taking your lead from the second one. With the tent. the tent thing, yeah, which was a callback to that. And so much so that we wanted to get the same soldier who reacts to the tent gag in Austin 2 reacting to the screen gag here, Eric Weisenreid, who I mentioned earlier, who has some hilarious reactions in this scene, who uh, always reads the um, the lines as other characters that Mike's not playing on the particular day when he's when he's playing opposite a character. He, like, gold member against Dr. Evil or Dr. Evil with Austin Powers, it's often Eric who's reading the lines on the other side. Hands up! You heard me, I said hands up! God bless Vern Troyer. That has to be the most uncomfortable thing to do for, what, two hours? I mean, we took breaks, but... Vern, again, the stuntman that he is, was willing to go through a lot for some laughs. He was very, very cool about this stuff. And still funny the whole time. I mean, you guys, both of you, put yourselves in the most uncomfortable situations, you know, to make it work okay. and endure a lot. But it looks easy. It looks like fun. And that's, it is, but it is it is also kind of tricky stunt sometimes. Speaking of which, see Vern fly out right there. The very next frame of that shot when I'm coming at the is camera him. is him, like, tapping the mat box at the tip <laughs> of his forehead because he came so close. But he was like, oh, I need to go closer. I got to go closer. Yeah, he was the, yeah, he was absolutely the one. This was an improv. One take. One take dance. I loved it. I'm so glad you did that. <laughs> that is the craziest thing ever. Mr. Powers! I love my chair. These were mounted. This is Rusty Smith putting a, a kind of skin and, a, and the chair back onto a wheelchair motor. It was brilliant because it, it didn't have to be built by us. The, the whole thing was pre-engineered to, from, from these really excellent uh, souped-up wheelchairs. And... Um, they worked like crazy. We were racing around the set the that whole time. Fun. The whole time we were shooting. I almost put one in the drink a couple of times. <laughs> On the day that I actually did go, go into in the Shark Tank. <laughs> well, it wasn't well marked, Jay. I know. A little clumsy sometimes. I thought that was really sweet when Beyonce came in with that gun in her pants, and you were a little shy about I taking did. it at first. <laughs> well, I didn't know. <laughs> A I gentleman it was very doesn't gentlemanly of you. A gentleman doesn't take a lady's gun from her butt cleavage. <laughs> I was raised that way. That was very cool. Dad? You and Beyonce had such a puppy, playful thing all the time. It was. That's. I'm so glad she was in our film. She yeah. really made a great. Well, it's just fun, you know. To she just had that uh, good combination of please don't make me laugh, please make me laugh. Yeah, exactly. 
which has, you know, two characters in it who are trying to pull off a romantic thing in any movie. For me, it's always the most romantic thing people can do for each other is, is actually make each other laugh. And she, she really, genuinely would lose it. You know? mm -hmm. It was so fun to watch. And she busted you up a couple of times, yeah. too. And she started doing her head, head movements and stuff, and it cracked me up. Just as I was finishing a case, your mother brought the two of you to Belgium. I stopped to have a tinkle when the car... That's Michael Caine as a young man, which I thought was very cool. We decided to try to plug in some footage from an early film of his and, and just stuck it into our thing and then shot with doubles and uh, recreated the sort of setting to make it look like it was part of our film. And uh, we shot that out on out near Highway 1 up by Point Magoo. That's such a great look. I love this guy's evil look. Evil look around. <laughs> yeah. Those He's the Belgians. Belgians. Those Belgians. I had, I had to answer the Belgians as well, in, in addition to the Dutch. I harbor no resentment to the Belgians or the Dutch. I spoke to the uh, foreign Hollywood press and pointed out very clearly that we love all the cultures that are represented in our film, and yes. each one is Especially just the low countries <laughs> and the Benelux region. You know, they're both Flemish. The Belgians and the Dutch. I know that there's a, a Flemish component and a below sea level often. Mm. I don't know how the Danes got off easy. <laughs> or the Liechtensteinians. You know, the Germans haven't really, the Germans. So I, I, you know, I've had people come up to me and say, why haven't you, why aren't we represented in your films? <laughs> why aren't we, why isn't there a. A, uh, a character who can... The German guy? ...misrepresent our entire culture. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Maybe Australians next. <laughs> yeah. New Zealanders. Tasmanians, I think, next. The Laplanders are strange. All right, easy on the Laplanders. <laughs> They're my people. I love this bit of score here um, that uh, George Clinton did. He did such a great job on the score for a whole movie. And, and some of these are tonally tricky to find, you know, the right balance of we're, we're obviously, you know, connected to a, a lot of different film genres. And to have the music be taken so seriously the way George always does and, and have it actually be beautiful, you know, even in, in a place where we're clearly trying to find the irony and the, and the laughter too. It's really cool to, to work with such a great composer. Come on! I mean, first I'm not evil enough for you. And now you're going to turn good? Listen, Scott. This next thing that Scott does, I just feel that we owe him so much for improvising this yeah. whole thing where he goes... He's heard enough, all this sentimentality. There. <laughs> this is so awesome. <laughs> and then he calls back the shush too and uses yes. it on Austin. And he's so evolved into what he always hated about his father in a certain way. It's such a delicious thing. And yet, you know, he, he also still is the rebel. In this runaway. <laughs> it's so awesome. That was all Seth. I know. He just... <laughs> and then your ad, your great ad on it too with this line. I'd like to point out that no one else in my gene pool... But that was like, like that was that day or next day? I think it was the next day. It was like, yeah. as often is when you're playing Goldmember, Dr. Evil, and Austin, you know, we're shooting it over the course of a eight-day period, you know, and it's all but just... But I just happen to remember the funny run. I just happen to remember it. 
and, and hope that it would get in. Think again, gold member. Ah, fuck she Cleopatra. It's a shame I had to kill your partner. Too bad for you. I love the way Goldmember's voice cracks. I, I you know, Goldmember has has grown on me over time, and I think that he will keep growing on people too, because he's such an odd bird. Luckily, I keep a spare. I've always loved him, but his I, every time he he does this laugh after he loses his winky in the pond. <laughs> I just, uh, I just lose it. You know, I don't remember doing Goldmember. I, I literally don't remember doing it. I remember doing Dr. It's, Evil. It's I just like remember Dr. Evil days. You go into a hypnotic trance, you know. Someone says, and now you will be Goldmember. And then they snap their fingers and now you're not. And you, it's like, but you will remember nothing of what has just happened. I, 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 don't, I don't know about that. I, I just don't, I don't remember... <laughs> I don't remember doing it. You don't remember me hypnotizing you, oh. as, as I do in all of your characters and before every performance, and, and you were merely a puppet uh, to my Machiavellian instincts. Does that make sense? No. You can cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the shooting begins! Let me shoot! See, the E-Diddy tattoo, we had a whole other thing where he wants to be referred to as E-Diddy that we cut out. Because he's been product on, line. He's, yeah. He had a product line, which was uh, D-E-N-Y, and uh, had this whole P-Diddy thing. Poor Foxy, man. She just takes a beating from Goldmember. Yeah, you'd think after a while, though. She would learn the whole... Clog in the head thing, but... But she doesn't. No. Hurry! great to have Mike as both characters in the same shot. We shoot those very simple green screens and Dave Johnson makes them work, but you feel like it's really two different actors and you forget entirely that, that it's really Mike Myers in both places. Again, ability to transform yourself. Thank you, sir. Well done, Austin. You saved the world again. Hey, yeah! Thank you. <laughs> this is a great shot. To me, this looks like the trading cards. You remember right. from like the Batman series, right? The tableau of all the characters all in the same place, and Doctor Evil still wishing he was involved in the hip thing. You under arrest, sugar. John Travolta. That was great. That was a great day. It was great. He really, he really came in and, and wanted to play and loved putting on the Dutch thing and. Uh, and doing dance, which was, he, you know, his cool trademark thing, and it was it was so generous of him to come in and yeah play. So I mean, all those guys who showed up and did this for yeah. us it was so cool. Very cool. He's a good-looking fella, that Tom Cruise. He should be in movies. She's a good-looking gal. She should be in movies too. Kevin Spacey, he's the best. When Danny DeVito, when you revealed Danny DeVito in the beginning of the movie, and and just. Right, many me, and we'd pan over, and it's ah, many me. I just, oh, I just lose it every time. Hey, powers! This whole thing was improvised on the day. Mike looked at his the shapes of his <laughs> skin flaps, <laughs> came up with some of these lines. It was really funny. Congratulations, baby. Thank you. I do have a little bit of excess. Oh God, bit of a problem here. Yeah. 
And unfortunately, my neck does look like a vagina. The question is if Fat Bastard is now Thin Bastard, does he stay thin or does he have the diet swing thing? I think he's going to have a diet swing thing. Statistically, that, that tends to happen. Tends to happen. You're right. Okay. Austin, thank you for everything. I love this song, this um, King Floyd song. It's just... Uh, Groove me. Groove me. And it, it, when I heard it, I finally figured out how the whole character was going to work and how it was going to click. And it was just such a great. We have a great music team um, John Houlihan and Danny Bramson and uh, Bruno Kuhn, who cut the tent music for us, and um, a whole bunch of people at Maverick Records, uh, Guy Osiri, and, and, but a whole bunch of people working on music for us that just um, helped make our films you know, as musical as they are. And I know that's always been important to you, Mike, because the, the films were musical from the beginning with mm -hmm. Alfred Burt Backrack and Quincy Jones and the Beatles, and very cool. Now that's, um, Seth just did that on the day, right? That was a one-take thing. That, there was a great scripted thing where he uh, rolled out of his chair and, and popped up and said, oh, I think I just threw up in, in my mouth. And <laughs> it was <laughs> it was a callback to the when you did it uh, as Dr. Evil in the second film. And it was good, but I said, Seth, can, you know, as we often do, you know, we do the scripted thing, but could you just try one now that we have that? Could you just try one thing where you just do something different? And he just on one take just tried that weird thing and then we actually rediscovered it very late in post-production and it was so funny it was great that he did it boobs Ozzy stop doing it just like a laugh <laughs> oh don't stop this kind of exciting I have to put you back in the refrigerator Ooh. one more I don't like that I'm turn don't make that noise here. I'm getting all turned on my testosterone is going dancing there's Susanna Hoff's credit that's your wife that's your girly. <laughs> is, is it true what they say about you? I think the Pepsi machine in the background is a coincidence, is it not? Uh, I, well, yeah, I think we it is actually that that out, If it wasn't a coincidence. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Burt Bacharach. What the world? And here we have Saving in Many Ways the best images for the last. We have a, an homage and a tribute and respect. Much respect is due to Mr. Burt Bacharach, who is the genius and genesis behind the entire Austin Powers series. I came up with the whole idea driving home from hockey practice and hearing the look of love on the radio. And I just had one question, which is whatever happened to Swingers? <laughs> and then uh, it reminded me of all the movies that my dad loved from England. and. And, uh, you know, it's from Casino Royale, The Look of Love, and it was in Austin Powers 1. And, you know, he's just a great composer and a great guy and so happy that uh, we have him in our film. His vocal performance is so good in the song, too. And one of the best things I've ever heard Bert sing, actually, the, the version he recorded just for us of um, What the World Needs Now. And now we're into the Rolling Stones song, which is very cool that Mick wanted to do something with us uh, and had sent, sent actually Dr. Dre like nine minutes of that vocal for Miss You and, and uh, Dr. Dre s spliced it in in a whole new cool way. I've been walking Central Park Singing after dark People think I'm crazy Stuffing on my feet 
One of the uh, nice things about, I guess, being famous and, and being known to be the guy that's Austin Powers is people will come up to you and tell you favorite, least favorite, and various things. So uh, I had uh, a lady from Scotland come up to me and goes, Mate, I've come all the way from Scotland and I've got a bone to pick with you. When are you going to do a positive Scots character? And I said, um, I did already. It was called Shrek. And she went, all right, then, fair enough. <laughs> Very good, then. Back on the plane. <laughs> Made a good point. When you're right, you're right. Yeah, right. Shrek was positive. Very good. All right, I'm on my bike. <laughs> Stick a fork in me, I'm done. Point well taken. <laughs> What's it all about? Austin. And then this last song is What's It All About? Austin, sung by Susanna Hoffs, my wife. It's one of those perfect mixtures of Sue, who's brilliant singer and in Ming T and Michael Caine plays Nigel and Burt Backrack, who is the godfather. Yeah, we're sort of all part of the origins of everything. I mean, we watched those Harry Palmer films um, when we were cooking up the look of Austin One. I mean, you, you cooked up the look and the glasses and the vibe and Burt Backrack. I mean, that all of this stuff really was origins and and the heritage of the project into the third one was very fulfilling yeah kind of a not slick but but cool uh cheeky chappy and then of course the harry palmer glasses for austin what will you lend on an old golden so that's the third austin powers it was really fun to do it and i'm glad you asked me back, and uh, it was really great to get to work with everybody that was involved again. We're grateful to everybody who helped us with this movie. Well, I had a great time, and I'm glad you uh, you came back to do it. And uh, that was Austin Powers in Goldmember, and this is Mike Myers. I uh, play Austin Powers, Dr. Evil, Goldmember, Fat Bastard. I co-wrote it with Michael McCullers and co-produced it with John Lyons and uh, Greg Taylor and Eric McLeod. I was born in Toronto, Canada, and I weigh about 160 pounds in my stock and feet. Good night. Good night. <laughs>